This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. See that you're born in Italian. You want your life to be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then to make you roll it, poly, you get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, we'll have the world on a plate. So see that you're born an Italiano, and your life will be great. And I will say good afternoon and welcome back, everybody, to the Italian American Power Hour. I am your moderator, John Viola. And back here with some familiar voices today on our panel, my partner in crime, Mr. Pat O'Boyle. And uh, Pat and I are balanced by the roses to our thorns today, uh, sitting at the side of the beach. that's kind of hard, roses to thorns. So Pat and I You like the zucchini flowers and they're the roses. Okay, I guess that's fair. I think zucchini, I get what you're saying here. Zucchini flowers are more identifiably Italian-American. So yes, okay, for today... Rosella Rago, Stephanie Gordon, they're going to be our zucchini flowers and not our roses. And actually, Pat, that's not a horrible way to broach the topic that we're going to talk about today, which is those products, brands, ingredients, call them what you want. That stuff out there um, in the grocery store that is discernibly Italian-American. Those brands that take you back, that are kind of only meant for us. Um we all know and love so many of them. And it's interesting that you take us to zucchini flowers because that actually does sort of segue into a story that uh, was behind my idea for the topic of this show. So for the audience out there that doesn't know me well, I've lived all over the country and everywhere I go, I have to find my sort of mothership headquarters, Italian American landmark that I can rely on for my ingredients, for socializing, just to get a dose of the culture. And in some places, that's harder than others. So when I lived in Dallas, Texas for a while, uh, that was really hard because it's not a city that screams Italian-American culture. But uh, fortunately enough, I became friends with a great guy named Charlie Toronto. Um, Charlie's still a really good friend, and I hope one day to get him on the show to kind of walk us through the Italian influences in Dallas and the community there like he did for me Um but Charlie took me to a place called Jimmy's Food Store, which is like an East Dallas institution in the middle of a very Mexican neighborhood. You wouldn't imagine it was there. But this Sicilian family, the DiCarlo family, has been running it since 1966. And I guess they've been in the grocery business for, for decades before. But it's like a, a total time warp uh, safe zone. You go in there and you have every product you could ever imagine. And so I'm I'm super homesick. I have no Italians around me. And I walk into this place and it's like Shangri-La and I see two products that make it really clear to me that this is going to be a place where I can attach to my culture in an authentic way. One is a crate full of zucchini flowers in the green grocery section. And the second, and sort of a touchstone for me always in the back of the store, uh, in the ice box is Manhattan special espresso coffee soda. 
And for me, and maybe for those of us in this area, in the New York, New Jersey area, Manhattan Special is like a sign of authenticity for a place, no matter where I go. And I started to think about what are some of those products that make me feel familiar and sort of speak to being authentically, if you could use that word, Italian-American. And for me, one was Manhattan Special. Can I ask the question, is it where? I, I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Mm. Where's the Manhattan Special area, zone? Where, where does it begin? Where does it end? Well, here's a really interesting thing, right? There's only For those of you who don't know, Manhattan Special, uh, if you haven't seen it before, definitely try it. Look it up online. Order it. Find out where you can buy it. It's an espresso coffee soda manufactured in Brooklyn on Manhattan Avenue. It's not Manhattan the Island. That's it's Manhattan Avenue. Yeah, Manhattan I've Avenue, Brooklyn. On the block that I was born. I was born on Manhattan Frost. Um, it's a Brooklyn specialty since 1895. It's the fizziest. Like, you open it up, and it's just bursting with flavor. It's ready to come out. It's it's old-fashioned soda made of real espresso, real sugar, and real carbonation, and pretty much nothing else. And it's it's a cult-like thing here in the New York, New Jersey area, for sure. It's, like I said, 1895. Uh, it's great on a hot day. Like oh, nothing yeah. better than that. I wish we had it right now. And it's and it's really... Hint, hint. Yeah, hint, hint. Uh, <laughs> sponsorships. Send some over. Uh, but it, no, it, who said authentically? We're not filming oh, yeah. something. I would kill for a Manhattan Even if they don't pick up the phone, I absolutely... And there's only one place that still has Manhattan on tap. That's Ferdinando's Focacceria, the Sicilian restaurant in... Uh, I another, guess right another off, favorite place. South Brooklyn, another yes, huge... Yes. Yeah, and that's another must-visit. That's and we're, and we're, we're discerning with our palate. Yes, that's true. So I would not endorse... From us, yeah. you had to work I would not endorse a restaurant I didn't believe in, and Ferdinando's Focacceria is... Off the charts. If you're going to go to New York, for people who are from outside the New York area, I think that's a definite Do you know that stop we, they have to make. We went there on Little Big Italy. You did? I did, yeah. That's where you went? Fernando's? I didn't. That wasn't my restaurant. Oh. Um, that's uh, They paired someone else with that restaurant. But actually, Manhattan, uh, I, I did, what I will say is that, like, for Fernando's, I mean, you walk inside, and it's like the 1800s. Oh, it's amazing. He hasn't changed the place since the no. 1800s. And I show up with a camera crew, with an Italian camera crew, and the person that I see running it is this kid that I went to college with at St. John's in Staten Island. Who is he? David Buffa. That's amazing. My friend is he, David. Is his family? He is the son of... The, of the owner. We're calling David, and uh, we're going to plug. And no, seriously, you come to New York. I couldn't believe that. It's a definite. If you want, if you're interested in the Italian American experience in New Sicilian American in particular, Sicilian American. Yeah, it, it is a, a, a through definitely. and through Sicilian. But it is. But but to, for today's topic, it's the last place that you can still get Manhattan Special on tap. They they literally only make that's awesome. and send the syrup there. So if you go, it's a big uh, mug with a great big ice cube in it, and it's like an experience to have. And just my, one of my favorite things. But Manhattan Special is really my authenticator because I've lived in D.C. And it's available at Letary's down in D.C. Mm -hmm. I know that. Uh, down in the Union Market in Washington, D.C. When I found that, it was like a big, you know, star on the place. I lived in Santa Monica, California for a while. And in Bay City's Deli there, um, right in the back, Manhattan Special in the bottle. And Manhattan Special makes Manhattan Special... Gasosa, Sesperilla, a bunch of uh, oh, older, yeah, they make a bunch, but the coffee soda is really, the espresso it's soda is, yeah, it's the main brand, and it's just you, Manhattan. You know what I can't understand about Manhattan Special? Why it's not a national brand, especially in this kind of hipster foodie age, because it has all the check marks. This is a big question product. for me. 
Yeah. It's a, a, a delicious product. It's a coffee product. I mean, every time you check the news, it, because that, coffee's a But that kind help. of stuff is, like, you know, it, if they made the Manhattan Special Kombucha version, that would probably <laughs> yeah. be popular. <laughs> but, I can't understand. Like, I was just... I was just um, but I think that's what they want. I don't think that they want to John, But John and I and our friend Nick Fadel, we were recently in St. Louis, um, and they were touting a local root beer. And I very, very rarely, I can count on one hand how many times a year I'll have soda. Mm-hmm. I guess in the rest of the country, some parts of the country call it pop. And I was like, okay, I'm here, and they're touting, I'm going to try it. It was delicious. It was, I, to be honest, I forget what the name was, but such a local product. And Manhattan Special is so emblematic of New York. But the, the thing about Manhattan that's really interesting is it's been owned by the same family since 1895 in the same factory, all the same stuff. So it's not that's like incredible. it was bought as like a boutique brand by, you know, Pepsi or Coca-Cola. It's just this family. And but how, do we, know, how do we know that, that Pepsi didn't try? How do we know they that? Never know. You never yeah. know. There's a lot of mystery to Manhattan. But for me, it's a touchstone product. And I have a whole list of other ones but that's what the show is about today. Stella Dora mentioned? Stella Dora, to yes. me... Emblematic of Stella New York. The what, S cookie. The S cookie. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite Stella Dora? I think my favorite is, like, the S cookie. Because there's there's just, like, a weird flavor to them that's, like, inimitable. Like, you you can't recreate the flavor. I mean, I make S cookies. I'm cooking with Nona. Um, and I make them all different kinds, and, uh, you know, they're just like an olive oil-based cookie. But there's something about that Stelladoro smell. Yeah, you can smell them my life. That was, yeah. Is it anise it It's not. It, it's, it's something. It's something that I don't know that I can't that I can't put my finger on. What about you, I think, I think wait, that... Wait, wait, before we get into it, what's your favorite Stelladoro? Roselle's an S cookie. Oh, wow. Oh, That's a deep... I mean, maybe childhood memories of Swiss fudge. The Swiss mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was always the naughty cookie. That is, you know, that's you like, you know, you, you, that I can was, eat a whole box of those. You can eat the whole box of it. Stephanie, what do you like? Mine are definitely the S cookie. Not even, I mean, the taste, you know, this just was a staple for us, but it was always in the house and it's always what my nonna wanted. And we would sit together and eat them with our coffee, even when I was just a really yeah. little girl. So I think also the memory behind it. Is why they're my favorite. You know so which ones I was never even allowed to have? They always had that package with the different um, frosted ones. Yes. With the different colors. Like I don't know anybody who had them, though. I was never no, allowed was to. We were never allowed to get those. That is weird. They're like, there's like there's some sort of indulgence to those. Yeah. Like, like the, I don't know. There's a frosting on them. For like, me, well. I love the fudge cookies. But for me, like, if the whole world was crumbling and I had to take one thing on, like, the escape pod, it'd be the black and white long cookie. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my absolutely. grandmother... Oh, the marguerite. Yes, yes marguerite. And yes. you know what? And a glass of milk. Yes. That was like... And I think those refilled... Them. I think my grandmother had like a magic jar that just refilled itself because it was always replenished and I always ate the white ones, vanilla ones first. Uh, I just... They're my grandmother. I bite into one of those and I could have... I could be next to my grandmother in the kitchen and it just makes me the happiest person. And I love the marguerite cookies from like... I, I make um, a lot of like no-bake crusts with them. Because they actually like, really hold together really well. Like you grind them up and you just mix them with butter and you can like put them in a. They they'll like hold a shape if you put them in a mold or something. Yeah. So it's kind of like the Italian American answer to like graham crackers <laughs> or Nilla wafers. That, yeah, that's true. It's the Italian American Nilla wafer. But you know the ownership has changed. I mean, well, here's the big controversy, right? This company, for those of you who don't, if you don't know Stelladora, you're probably 
got to our show by accident. Like, I think. <laughs> no, but I, they're I, in I, every it's, supermarket, it's, but in a lot of supermarkets, they're hidden. The Stella yeah, Dora display is, is kind of like hidden. I, I don't. Do you know, have to ask for it? I'm, I'm just saying it's just just to be fair to, to everyone who's out there. But I think that it's very much a New York, New Jersey brand. I don't. I mean, you can find it in other parts of the country. I don't know, and that's probably very interesting to our listeners. I'd be fascinated to know. You know, some we might have Italian Americans in in other part of the Midwest or the West who've never heard of Stellator. It may not be their brand. I don't know. Let me reiterate for the listeners. Please do reach out to us. We we're dying to know. I mean, all of us here are from pretty small footprint. Um, Roselle and I are from Brooklyn. Pat's from New Jersey. Stephanie's from Maryland. It's not a mm-hmm. huge geography, but let me say, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, we are Italian Power HR. Uh, that's our, our handles there. And if you want to get to us even on uh, an email, just write italianpowerhr at gmail.com. Send us a quick uh, note. We would love to hear where these things have gone. It's almost like an experiment. Like, where is Stelladora's footprint? But the thing that I find interesting about Stelladora that I wanted to sort of handle today is what do these brands owe us? And how much of the, like, you know how they say, like, you watch baseball? What do you mean? And the, well, let me get to here. Like, you hear you watch baseball and the player leaves the team, and they say, well, you're really rooting for the jersey, not the player. Like, what's the loyalty in these things? So Stelladora was started in 1930 by immigrants from Trieste. Uh, They came, they started a factory in the Bronx. Um, My wife's family comes from the Bronx, and I know even now, like, that factory was famous. It employed a ton of Italian-Americans. It was a really great place to work, very progressive in terms of its benefits and how it took care of its employees, um, obviously a popular brand that did really well, the business did well. They had a restaurant for many years. Did uh, they really? Yeah, still in the in the factory, Stellador Restaurant. Yeah. Well, for the employees. For, no, for the public. I mean it was like it was a big, big brand in the city. Huge touchstone to the culture, very Italian American brand, a lot of um, let's say sweat equity from the community here. People really related to this company. It was a big employer. Uh, in nineteen ninety two, the family sold the business to Nabisco. And Nabisco got bought by Kraft in 2000, 2006. Kraft sold the company to a private equity firm called Brinwood Partners. And Brinwood Partners in 2009 sells the company and the new owners decide they're going to move Stellador's manufacturing, I think, to Minnesota. It went to Ohio, I think. Was it Ohio first? Because I actually actually had a – the reason I have knowledge in this is because – I, I also teach, like you guys know, I teach college on, on the side as an adjunct, and I actually address this in a, in a business law class. The whole stuff is a, it's a fascinating story, just with labor relations. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's Ohio. And yeah. it, was, it was like an 11, 12-month strike, and uh, it actually generated the documentary, an HBO documentary, that's fantastic if you're out there and haven't seen it, called um, No Contract, No Cookies about the strike. And I remember when I first got to NIAF, uh, I was fooling around with our social media back then, and I put a post of the cookies that I love, the, the Marguerite cookies, and I said, oh, Celadora, great Italian-American brand. And I got a lot of negative feedback from people from this area whose families have worked there who were like, you know, how could you support this brand? They're not really Italian-American anymore. They, they fired our whole family, blah, blah, blah. And I had known none of this, so I started to do the research. And it was really amazing to see, and I thought to myself, wow, like, you know, these brands are primarily ours. Um, you, you know what's telling in the research that I did really preliminary research enough to teach in a class? Um, 
when the product, and there's a lot of backstory to, to this, but when the product was moved to Ohio, the company in Ohio, I guess the baking company, and it was a big boost to the town. So it, it left New York, but the town in Ohio was very happy to get it. The workers had no idea what the product was. So they basically had to educate them on, wow, this is like a big deal in New York, I guess. But that just shows how much it, it's part of... I, I, I think it's even more than the Italian-American experience in the New York area, the, the immigrant experience, because a lot of first-generation Europeans and, and European immigrants also bought the Stelladora cookies. Well, that's the interesting thing, too. Like, the, the Swiss fudge have no milk or butter, so they're parved. So Orthodox Jews can eat them uh, within their, their guidelines. The, the beauty of it, it's so New York. Yeah, it is I amazing. mean, coming, coming from this area... But when Kraft bought it, so they, New York. they took off the designation. They, they didn't think about it. And there was like a whole kickback, and sales declined, and they had to put it back in and, and make a point to, to, you know, put this market, uh, this branding on the product because it is so much a part of its of its customer base and the identity of these products. And, you know, you know I love history, so I, I always go back to the same well with this. But I have a friend who um, has an Italian-American bakery. And she made a comment once saying that, you know, in the early days, that the big bulk of the bakery sales were in, were in I say Bishkut, I'm sure someone will correct my Italian, but the Neapolitan word, my grandma said Bishkut. But the Bishkut, the, the biscotti business, I guess, mm -hmm. where people would come in, women would come in to buy the Bishkut for the family because that was the, like the, the, the Anazette toast. Mm -hmm. So that was the dunking cookie. So you dunked it with your coffee in the morning. You know, you had a kumada or a friend that came over to visit. You put the cookies out. And it was a bulk trick. People came in and bought pounds because basically it was the breakfast. It was the breakfast food of the family. And it was, um, you know, the visiting cookie. And they said the pastries and the, the, the pastries and the cakes were like a secondary business. The biscotta was the, was the real driver of the business. And as that, you know, as and when we went from becoming a, a cookie and a coffee culture to a cereal culture, that kind of passed. But I think that if you talk about mass-produced food, food that you buy in a supermarket that comes in a cellophane package, one of the ones we jumped on was the Stellador cookie. So we didn't buy it from the bakery anymore. We bought it in the supermarket. That's true. Yeah. In the package, in the same way that I think it's emblematic of the transition that happened here, the way that Nutella is so emblematic of Italy from, let's say, I guess, the 50s. When would you say that, Roselle? Where, where would you put Nutella after the war, 50s, 60s, 70s? Well, Nutella uh, generation? Well, in the during the war, Nutella was different. Nutella was not a spread. Nutella was sold as a loaf. Get out of here. Yeah. So uh, Ferrero produced, like, a, a pasta gianduia. Yeah. kind of thing. So it was like a loaf and it could be sliced and put between two pieces of bread. Problem was that children were throwing the bread away <laughs> and eating just the the, gendui, the hazelnut chocolate loaf. So they came out with a spread later. Wow, oh, that's how it became a spread? That's incredible. Um, I had no idea. See, Nutella for me was See something. how much you learn on this show? Yeah, it is. You learn with Biancoline. But, but you learn what you call Manhattan the thing Special. With, with you learn Bukidop has flowers. The thing, <laughs> so the thing about, about like the Stella Doro-esque cookie is that, it, I think you're right, I think it was a, it was so emblematic of the cookies that like the Comara baked themselves. So they were comfortable buying those kinds of cookies because it's like, oh, they're just like the ones that we make. They look just like the ones that we make. They're, pl they're kind of 
of like this plain kind of dry cookie, yeah. you know, no jazz, no pizzazz, very little, uh, very little magic and glitter to them. You know, like the, the ones with the pink frosting, F that. We're not, them. Yeah, not allowed true. to have those. That's true. Those are, those are, those are, those are Because we weren't familiar uh, with pink frosting. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we didn't recognize do, it. We're not frosting, yeah, frosting we're not pink, people. We're frosting people, not pink frosting. Right, right. That's pink right. frosting was That's just true. too much. That's true. So they were comfortable with these cookies. You know, we weren't, we were never allowed to have chocolate chip cookies growing up. The Entenmann's and yeah. stuff. That Entenmann's came so much later. But Stella Dora represented a time of, you know, Italian-Americans easing into this American culture of we can purchase things. We don't have to spend hours baking stuff. And that was okay. That's why I love these products because they are, like I say, living history of our easing into and assimilating into and integrating mm-hmm. into the American culture. They're the first introduction that we send out into the wider world because they are available to communities outside like the you know the uh, orthodox community eating the fudge cookies and, and and anybody getting to taste our culture through these things um, but they're also made for the American market and, and and like you know we come over here in the beginning in our earliest immigration and you just can't get a lot of the stuff you can get back in Italy so if you can't import it, and if it's cost prohibitive, you start making your version here, and that says that says something about setting down roots. You know, you're you now you're now you're branching off the tree a little bit, and I love these products because they are so particular. Well, let me just let me just jump in something for my grandmother. You bring up a great point there. What's really American about it is you could eat it every day. You could afford to go out and buy the biscuit and eat it. That's true. Yeah. My grandma used to talk about. Growing up as a kid, and, and her and her mother, they, they would have stale bread, and they milk, would pour, yeah, yeah m- more milk and coffee. And I tried it one time as a kid, and I said, this is a, it was like, horrible, yeah. Hor- was it, it's like horrible, it's like, it's like mushy bread. It's a, it's a punishment. <laughs> but that was their charm. I got to say how her brother, who died young, loved the, 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 the stale bread with coffee and milk. And you take that as a, as a, my grandmother who was born in Jersey, you take that, and then you take the next generation... You go through the Depression, my grandma was born in 1920, and now in the post-war era, you can eat cookies every day. Yeah. God bless America. You know, you can eat cookies every day. And I think that the combo of being able to eat cookies every day that comes in the package that you do not have to spend hours making. Because, you know, something else, too, to remember of our culinary history is that before the gas oven, when you had to use a wood-fired oven, you could not control temperature. You could get an idea about the, the color of the tiles turning gray with the temperature was to make bread. So you had to bake something that could handle heat, yeah. a lot of heat, and a delicate American chocolate chip. I mean, even if it, the, the, the idea had gotten to Italy and Italy could have done it, an American chocolate chip cookie is not going to survive a, a coal fire, yeah. or a wood fire, but a, but a biscotto will. Yeah, it's true. So you go from a biscotto, which is a specialty, something that, you, you know, Italy, you have cookies on special occasions. Yeah, tarali, focaccia, sure. all things cooked at high temperatures. And now, then you come to America and have biscuit every day, which is wild, you know. And then you go from that to the to the, to the product that's packaged in cellophane. But, and there's something to be said about this generation that held on to those traditions, like the 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 eating bread with milk every every morning as a breakfast. You know, my uncle, my uncle Dominic, is 88 years old. Uh, he's married to my Aunt Rosa, which is my, my nonna Romana's. They're 88 and 83, and they're the two healthiest people I know. 
for their not even just for their age not not even just for their age though but they both you know my uncle has all his own teeth he walks back straight my aunt back straight she walks you know blocks and blocks every day their life is incredibly simple and these are people that did very very well for themselves god bless them they could eat stelladoro they could afford to buy the the stelladoro cookies but they choose a different lifestyle my uncle every single morning I, i asked my aunt i was like what does zio eat in a day because whatever the hell he's doing, I it's working. He's, you know, he's still alive in, in fabulous health. Like, what? It's got to be. And what's he? So, in the morning, he eats two or three tarali or frisella in coffee and milk. Less, you know, more milk, less coffee. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, they wake up at 5 a.m. too. So, for lunch around. And he probably goes to bed at 9. Yeah. He's in tune with circadian yeah. rhythms. I mean, there's for, so many components. For lunchtime, around uh, lunchtime, or like 11.30 or so, I think he goes to his club across the street, which which is a big deal to, to have that, that sort of community around yeah. you. You know, at 7 a.m., he's already on the corner of 18th Avenue, like with his friends at the uh, by the bench where they all hang out. He comes back, he has a snack, he has a piece of, like, ricotta, and he has some, uh, she's like, he had some leftover minestrone that I made. No pasta. Does wow. not eat pasta. My yeah. uncle does not eat pasta all the time. He's a very particular person. He doesn't even like lasagna. You know, he says it's a brick lasagna. <laughs> uh, so, I don't like lasagna either. So he eats like a bowl of uh, a bowl of vegetables and cheese, essentially. And then for dinner, he eats you know a vegetable and uh, and like a roast or a protein or fish. That's a lot of fish. My father was like an incredibly healthy man in his late sixties, and he's the same way. Like a minest, a little yeah. roast, lots of greens. I mean, that's that that. That's our diet. No pride, no pasta, unless it's um, unless it's one of those seasonal things, like when the when the fagiolini pinti came out, when Mm. the first string beans, those long string beans came out. Amole's thing is pasta is uh, spaghetti with the string beans and tomato sauce and the cacciaricotta on top, and that he eats. That he'll have, but that this is once in a while. You know, he treats you know those, those kinds of dishes like a like a treat once in a while. Because he's eating, he's eating to his upbringing right he's eating yeah. who he is and that's part of this whole discussion it's like these are these are products that probably outlast the normal trend because there's so much who we are and, and that's why i love them. like you talk about having your morning coffee now i may get i don't want to say uh, abuse for this but for me in my family we did not have the sophisticated italian brands like lavazza and uh they weren't here lavazza wasn't here we, we, yeah. we had Medaglia d'Oro. And that was the standard espresso coffee in my house. I mean, I, I to me, it, it smells different. Well, my family were smugglers. Black coffee. Black coffee. So my family, <laughs> yeah. So my family, like, we weren't just going to stand for it. No one was going to tell us what we were going to buy here. You know, so we went back to Italy very frequently, and we just loaded that suitcase up with anything we could and then well that's why you know my boyfriend owns a an italian my boyfriend's family owns an italian food market and then but that wasn't until you know they start they didn't start the the big importing business until uh i think at least the the late 80s or so it all changed it changed yeah overnight all of a sudden you went from having medallion dora which everybody drank to all these other brands, and it became the chic thing came to get the you know quote unquote the real stuff from Italy. And I think it was the same thing with Italy. You know, when when the Italians during the fifties and sixties they walked away from the stale bread and the coffee and the milk yeah. because the grandparents did, but the kids had the pane with the Nutella. They walked away from that to pane Nutella, and I think we walked away. 
from our domestic brands because the hot cool thing was all the stuff that was Stopped just coming Italy. in from Italy. And it's the whole world. I mean, like, you know, the Chinese-American that we think of as, like, American-Chinese food went through the same thing. You know, our Italian-American cuisine, which for so many generations was Italian food in this country, started to evolve in the 80s. I mean, you know, I used to spend... Um, a lot of time with the great chef Tony May. He's a Neapolitan. He came here and opened uh, San Domenico and the Palio and some of the most cutting-edge restaurants of their time. And he's just a phenomenal guy. He's a great teacher. And he said, it was like, for him, it was part of this idea of bringing what he knew as Italian food or Neapolitan food or whatever into the American marketplace, which was so dominated by this Italian-American standard. And it was, and it was a conscious thing. Like, arugula until the 80s was nothing to the rest of the country. If anything, people are going back to basics and they're coming more, uh, you know, in the 90s, in the in the late 80s and the 90s, things were about food. The food scene was very chic. It was about mm. edible flowers and peanut butter uh, purees and, you know, design and, uh, and food got very, very, you know, uppity. Yeah. to a certain degree. And now things are getting so much more simpler and you'll see, you know, Nona attached to everything, you know, Nona's artichokes. I'm not the only person that comes up, you know, yeah. Bonnet, you'll find 12 articles. Yeah, but do you think, I'm, I'm asking, it's a completely unloaded question. Do you think in Suburban X that the Italian Americans who are in their 30s and 40s are making a meal of scrotone beans and Fazale is still bright. I mean, if those kids are out there, God bless them. I don't, just from what's around me, I don't, they're doing I, Taco Tuesday I think and people are cooking. If people weren't cooking, Blue Apron and Hello and Fresh and all that stuff better. wouldn't Blue, be as popular. Blue Apron, to the best of my knowledge, and I hear everybody doing Blue Apron now, I don't think Blue Apron makes good own beats. I mean, we, you know, this is part We're of doing the, that the whole conversation about these products, right? It's like we, uh, our dietary habits evolved from the time we got here. Uh, to amend themselves to products that we didn't have in Italy, that our ancestors didn't have in Italy. And it's interesting to see what becomes standard. Like, I think, I don't know. Again, this is always so, like, interpersonal, right? It's always so unique to each person. But, like, I think pasta fazula is a very standard dish, multi- yeah, Everybody will gen- argue from now to right? the second coming about how you make it. Correct. I know. But, I mean, but, like, it's interesting. Like, why is that so standard, but, like, pasta patata is not? You know what I mean? Like, what's the... Why is it that some things? Because I think I want my honest were preserved. I think in the sixties, this a lot of this stuff became uncool. The Americanization push was because I mean, think think about if you're in in Homac, and I wasn't there in the sixties, but for the ones who are, if I have a, um, my mother ha- got a blender when she got married in nineteen sixty eight, and I looked at the cookbook that came with the blender, and it was like ninety percent of the stuff was gelatin. Like yeah, ham and gelatin, yeah. uh, but that's like a big thing. And I looked at it, and there was nothing there that was remotely close to Italian American, Italian food, or Italian American food, however you want to term it. Because I think that in the 1960s pyramid, a proper dinner was a steak, a baked potato, and then an un, a, a string beans with no condiment on it, just yeah. a plain boiled string bean. And I think that the Italian American kids whether um, consciously or subconsciously, we'll have to believe that's the correct way to eat. Where um, to sit down with just a bowl of vegetables and a piece of bread and maybe a piece of cheese, that would have seemed bizarre and a little bit maybe backwards and not healthy. So I think we've come around to that now where that was really the base of the Mediterranean diet and why people in towns in the south of Italy, the Chilento has some of the, the longest longevity in the world, 
But I think that that gap of 40 or 50 years from when we walked away from it to when we walked back, we've lost a lot of the traditions because people don't know how to make the Shkodolim beans because their mother didn't. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that these are, these are things that have clearly become, um, let's say, like heirloom recipes as opposed to like the standard, you're going to take it out of your weekly repertoire. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's... Like, I don't know if uh, pasta and potatoes or pepper and eggs and things like that are stuff that people are making on a regular basis anymore. I think there's a lot of interest in it. I think they are. I don't think the media helps us because the media, we're not, I mean, one of my arguments and one of the reasons why I'm happy you talked me into this was our voice is not heard on a national scale. You took us 18 million Italian Americans. We really, for the the, the, the proportional or percentage that we are of the American population, we're really not heard. So what does everybody have? Taco Tuesdays. I don't know what what day of the week would Shkarol be. Shkarol yeah, but that's Thursday, an interesting question, though, like, because like think about this, right? I remember when we, uh, Stephanie, who obviously is talking too much today, mm-hmm. um, when we did a like an intro of uh, team members when we were both at NIAF, you mentioned your favorite food was spaghetti and meatballs, and you got crucified. Crucified <laughs> by whom? A bunch of people who said spaghetti and meatballs is not Italian, and I don't think which you, I never said it was. Right, just saying it's your favorite food. Yeah, but oh, we, yeah, here we go. I mean, but, really but my point is, like, my point is, we have our food. we have our version of Taco Tuesdays. Some of our stuff has become American, right? Like chicken parmesan and uh, spaghetti. No, no, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I'm going to tell you why I disagree with that. That is that is not the food that made the people in the Chilento look to be 106. Yeah, but neither is Taco Tuesday to the Mexicans. No, but I'm saying Taco Tuesday tacos are very much part of the Mexican cuisine. Yeah, but not prepared like we prepare them. Yeah, but I have I have Mexican American friends. They're tacos. They love tacos. They do make great tacos. I've seen them made authentically in people's houses. But what I'm trying to say is that tacos. The, 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 what, if you go to an Italian restaurant outside of, the, of certain areas, and you know what I'm talking about, the food is not Italian food. It's not even good Italian American food. It's what the and I said this to people. It's what the American people want. So it's 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 not it's heavy carb. Lots of cheese, like cheese on top of carb on top of cheese. That really, ha- I mean, I don't want to get specific with this and, and and call out names, but are people going to a chain Italian restaurant for a put of beans? They're not. No. They're going for pseudo Italian American food. It's not the food that brought our people the longevity that they have. They have at least in Italy, or they have now. But they ate a lot of that specifically because they couldn't afford to make anything else. I mean, like, uh, my family, we grew up eating like that because that's how my grandparents were raised. They obviously didn't come from a lot of, a family with a lot of money or anything, so we still eat like that because that's how he learned, or both my grandparents learned how to cook. So, we have nights where we eat just like that, but then they try to add something in because they were never able to afford it before. So, I think they try to evolve it a little bit because now they can afford to add That's a big difference. If you're going to add... Like, I used to get blood in high school, and that I guarantee my grandma liked me liver. That was like, oh, you lost blood, liver and a glass of red wine, because that, that was supposed to create blood or a steak, right? Blood made blood. Mm-hmm. But that's different than what I'm saying, is that if you, if, if you take someone off the street in middle America who's not familiar with, intimately familiar with Italian food, shkarol and beans or greens and beans is a quarter part of the country. That's not going to trigger, that's not, they know that the, the triple stuff pizza, the quadruple stuff pizza, 
or they know the garlic, the garlic sticks, or whatever they yeah, want. Garlic knots. But the, those things, the stuff that's that that's the the greens and stuff like that, the vegetable based diet didn't appeal to them, so we didn't market it to them. But I don't think it's really part and parcel of their their take on us, if that makes sense. Well, Rosella, do you know what are the most like clicked on types of recipes that you do? Is there like a trend to the stuff that people are using the most? Is that something you could know? Uh, yeah, definitely. We have the, the data on those. Um, ricotta cookies stands to be one of the most popular. I mean, I think the most popular recipe on cookingwithdonna.com. Really? Ricotta cookies. Yeah. They're not Italian. Like they're not, they're not really made in Italy. Um, but people love them. I mean, there, there are certain heavy hitter, um, pasta pisali is one of them. Uh, pasta patate, believe it or not, is yeah. one of them. So while the, the most clicked on recipe is not an, uh, an authentic Italian recipe, I assure you that the, the ones, you know, in the top 10 are. Yeah. So when I hear like people don't eat like that, I, I, I beg to differ. I think people, I hope you're right. I'm not, I'm not, I think people not want to eat yeah, like I that. Think so. I think they want to eat. I, yeah. I agree. I think I, they, I want, they want to start eat eating that. like that because you know, in, in 1969, the Betty Crocker cookbook was published. So that was a very like meat and potatoes approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I'm you sure know a lot of jello molds, a lot of, um, a lot of ham glazed hams yeah. with the pineapple, yeah, like American food, good whole American food. The, you know, uh, reflective of the food pyramid of the heavy on the on the carbohydrates you need a, a basic protein and stuff and uh, the the way italian americans should be eating is you know seasonally but we have to remember we're not in italy so we, we don't we don't go to the fava guy when the fava are in season we don't this, this is you a, know just a, look at what was it life or look magazine in 1940 did an interview with um, Joe DiMaggio. Life. And was it Life, the, the yeah. famous one? And they made a comment that his favorite his favorite food is chop suey and that he didn't smell a bite garlic, garlic in it. Like mean, his how horrific. What a horrific thing to say. And how, you know, un, un, unfathomable ignorance, really. Yeah, it's it was 1930s. True, but I think that mentality poisoned the well of why people transitioned to the yeah, you see, definitely ran away from. I mean, look, there's, there's sure, but I think it's important to see why they did. There's different reasons, right? It's it's the availability of product. It's the as as we point out, as Stephanie points out, it's the additional revenues. It's the additional additional resources that we have that we can uh, bring to our our kitchens. It's the changes in American culinary culture. It's 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 a bit some of it is shame. Yeah, some of it is shame. I mean, like I had a conversation with my dad about the. I made uh, veal cutlets the other night, and my dad was saying how, like, veal cutlet was a huge treat, and once you could afford veal, chicken cutlets seemed like a step down. And I thought that was really interesting, because it was like, you arrived, you had veal versus chicken. Um, but all this stuff, you know, we know the culinary uh, standards are going to change, and part of it's going to be keeping alive recipes because we're consciously keeping them alive, and part of it's going to be uh, stuff that's naturally passed on over generations but for the sake of today i want to talk more about the, the products that are out there still that have made it this far in our experience and and, and we can use and, and the stuff that people really attach emotions to like look there's tons of pastas out there that were american brands uh ronzoni 
and prints and all over the country, these, these American, Italian-American pastas that meant so much to us. And I don't know if they still sell like they used to sell. Are they still like Medaglia d'Oro? I, I can tell you, I remember it had to be the late 80s, maybe, but 87, 88, my brother was born. I remember distinctly my mother and my grandmother coming back from ShopRite, which is a chain of supermarkets in northern New Jersey. And I remember La Molizana, the pasta, La Molizana, I arrived in, in, which we would refer as macaroni, in New Jersey. It was like the biggest thing ever because it was like, wow, it was macaroni from Italy. And then it became an automatic stigma of why are you buying the American brand when you have the Italian brand? I think the same thing happened to the Medaglia. Now, Medaglia Doro actually was bought by Nestle at one point. So I think it's a different coffee. I think the old coffee, it was mud, and I loved it. You know, on the yeah. black beds. It's the totally depends on how you make it, too. Sure. And I, but I think it definitely changed, because I remember opening it one time, and it went from being really dark black to brown. I, I like Nestle had bought it. But the, the reason I bring it up is that I think that um, when the products came from Italy, it almost became kind of trendy, not to buy the uh, the American-made yeah. Italian-American product, but now to get the quote-unquote real products from Italy. Well, like, you know, I, I work with a lot of grandmothers, and uh, even though everything is available now, and, uh, and most of the women I work with frequently visit Italy and have um, an excellent knowledge of the products that are available, and I will still find the green container of 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 craft parmesan cheese. I, I gotta admit, I buy it. In, oh god, I buy it. I mean, I know. <laughs> it, it, and it always gets me, like when I see that they have felce azzurro in their bathroom. You know, the Italian mm. soap and the powder, <laughs> and I'm like, but you have the parmesan can, <laughs> the green can. But that leads that, to that's not even cheese. It's a cheese product. It's cheese food. It's, it's pasteurized cheap. cheese food. I may have to. Yeah, but there. But I think the other point that brings up is that. That same immigrant generation is the most price-conscious people in the world. That's true. Mm -hmm. they are, nobody, you, are good you can ask them. Yeah. They, you can ask them. They could be 95 years old. They That's know true. how much they paid for yeah. something. My grandmother knows if she, like her coupon skills, like if she can't get the product, she gets the rain check. And my grandfather, they live up in the in the country now. They're, my grandfather's 80, uh, going to be 83. My grandmother's 81. And uh, they will drive an hour to get food because they're in the mountains. And my poor grandfather would drive all the way there, all the way home, while my grandma's going to the receipt. And if there's something wrong, she'll make him go back. Yeah. But then it can be a nickel. She don't care. Oh, like, this yeah. Is, yeah. yeah like, my, yeah. my nonna, like, can barely walk at this point. I mean, nonna Romana is still pretty healthy. She go, But she has her little cart, her little shopping cart that she takes to National Wholesale Liquidators on Bay Parkway. Like, then it doesn't matter. Like, she's in pain or whatever. She, she will take it there to buy a barrel of laundry detergent. Because it's 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 because cheaper. That was the Costco before Costco, right? Yeah. That was like my family's the same way. You know, I got an interesting one, right? Like we talked about craft as a cheese product. Um, we're talking about cheese product versus real cheese, and for you know some of these brands that did start out as Italian American, maybe our community abandoned them even before uh, the Italian product became available. I mean, Palio cheese has been around in Brooklyn since 1899. Uh, again, it is part of the craft family. They only family. bought those, they only bought Palio because they all wanted to keep the containers. That is those the containers, more uses, yeah, they are. Tiny that is true. But I mean, think about this, right? Like, uh, it's not bad product. It's good product. 
I, I couldn't tell the difference between polio ricotta and another one really. You know, polio ricotta, like, no, mozzarella, yes. They suck it. Yeah. But that's well, another question. But the, that's the a American mozzarella. It's not yeah, it's dried factor. mozzarella. It's not fresh mozzarella. There's so many people don't realize the difference. This is really important because they, that, that shredded plastic ish. It has like the, I think that the dried mozzarella has like the quality plastic almost. Yeah, well, that's, but that's, you know, fine. From a culinary perspective, that's kind of fine to use on pizza. Yeah. Um, it's kind of fine to melt. Mm-hmm. over things it melts nicely but uh it's not going to have the same uh texture or taste as a bowl of fresh mozzarella yeah. is there an equivalent of that in italy sure old mozzarella well in italy you don't get mozzarella at the supermarket in in many cases and if you're in a if you're in a large city you, you can but the even in large cities they have latteria yeah they have la latteria that that is your uh, dairy store that will have and sometimes it's a latteria salumeria yeah. um but in most cases they have a latteria that's a, just the cheese store and we still have them here i mean they're not necessarily yeah, latteria, but they're in brooklyn they're but, like yeah, on williamsburg and stuff yeah. they're they're bougie now yeah they're yeah, cool they're now. They yeah it's a it's you know yeah. you're it, i don't think on like 125th street there's a lactidia anywhere no, um but, but yeah, you got you go to the Latteria and you get a cheese that's made that day, formaggio di giornata, that's made early that morning. And the thing is, if it doesn't sell, they in most in most cases they donate it to the pizzerias. Yeah, I can see that. And they give it to the pizzerias to make pizza with because it's going to melt beautifully, but it's not the it doesn't have the moisture content that it did twelve hours ago. It's really interesting for me to see these products that have roots in the Italian-American community and really are not the touchstone ones. Like, you know, it, it, it's a little almost controversial, right? But Chef Boyardee was, <laughs> was started, yeah. Yeah, started by an Italian-American. Ettore Boyardi. Whose name I'm sure no one can spell. Hector, Hector Boyardi. Boyardee. And this guy was like... He well, Polio like, is the same thing. The Polio, they were, they were P, their last name is P-O-L-L-I-O. Yeah. Well, yes. But I mean, the, the, the Chef Boyardee, Chef Boyardee, uh, he's like an underappreciated guy. This guy like was manufacturing huge amounts of food during the war. A yeah. lot of it at his own cost. Uh, obviously, in the earliest days of our sort of real uh, entree into the great American culture, this was one of the first lines of introduction of who we are. And people love this stuff. How the heck did a guy from Piacenza in the 1920s get to Ohio of all places? Oh, and, whoa, whoa. And Mr. open a restaurant in Ohio. In Ohio. No, 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 no one is a bigger, def- even though I love Ohio, there is a huge, authentic Italian American community. Ohio. I guess there must have been Yokes, because Yokes, that's where Chef Boyardee is from. Yeah. No, young, I, will, I will stand to all the yeah. Ohio people out there. I always say if I had to go into exile, and leave New Jersey, I would happily go to Queens. Well, it was like it was I like when Ohio. I went to Indiana and I did the the Indiana Festa Italiana one year, and I, you know, it was mostly like railroad workers and stuff. And I just imagine you know that time, and imagine these people you know calling each other up and being like, "Oh, there's work here. You got to get out here." It's like, no. how did you get out there though? I want to do another episode on these hidden communities people don't know about because we we're so local here. And people think well, of the New York the, people are we we we're belly button stairs. It's like all New York and nothing else. <laughs> we are a little bit uh, we are New a little self indulgent. Sure. But like, you know, I got to go to I went to Indiana in uh, Indianapolis, met an amazing family that's had a restaurant in the same spot that the community loves. The uh, restaurant's called the Arias. 
They've been there since the 30s. Yeah, uh, I've West met them. Beach, right? I mean, this is like, they're still making their their yeah. own pasta, own dough with these machines from the 30s. The place hasn't changed in forever. And there's a community there. West Virginia, Texas. Indianapolis huge, was... was San, in- San Giovanni and Fiori from Calabria sent a huge amount of people. To, to West Virginia. But this is Indianapolis was a really interesting place because I found like there were like, you know, the five families of Indianapolis. There were there weren't many fam- there were a lot of people, but they all came from the same five yeah. five or so big name fam like Mascari, yeah. Iaria. Like, it's like a small that is an emblematic of who we are. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. That that's true. Five, and that was really interesting. Five, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That was that's like uh, Sansa, the town my grandmother comes from is like that. There's like a an abundance of certain names, and that's it. Well, that's like you know the, the soprannome that you know. Oh, the soprannome. We need a, an episode on soprannome. <laughs> yes, we should. Absolutely, that's a good one. I kind of like that. We should um, do a road trip to Cleveland. I would love to do a lot of because they have their big festival. Cleveland's a great city, so, great Italian city. When I was growing up, um, we wanted everything that we couldn't have. We wanted absolutely everything we couldn't have. So we had you know scarrow and beans. Almost every night, or a pasta dish every night. My mother cooked every single night. We were alive, and uh, we wanted, we really longed for certain niche American, Americana, American things. Okay, so like we weren't allowed to have a microwave in my house because my mother believed it would kill us. (laughs) So we still, like, my parents still do not have a microwave. There's no, yeah, there's no microwave in the Rago household. And all we could crave was like a hungry man TV dinner. That was a big treat for me. Kids cuisine. I know. Remember the yeah, kids cuisine? It's, 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 I mean, I don't think hungry man or kids cuisine is going to sponsor us, so I can say <laughs> uh, not the best option in the world. Like you get that like really nasty brownie or apple crumble thing. That it was bad. That's all you ever wanted. It, it was ever bad wanted. good. Yeah. And because even it was the same thing as as a chef Boyardee. Yeah. Or spaghetti. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the advertising was incredible, right? I mean, yeah. The there's a cartoon about a macaroni on a skateboard telling you to <laughs> eat penguin. this stuff. Yeah, a penguin, penguin on the kids', kids cuisine. cuisine. But like in my family, there was my dad was very specific about the recipes, the uh, the menu he wanted at the house, and we had a lot of like lentils. I mean, I love them now, but when you're a kid, it's this is middle, like prison uh, food. You're yeah, like, what is this? Yeah, can I have more gruel, mom? But yeah. now I appreciate it. But like brown slop, you know. <laughs> uh, you know the, I want the kids' cuisine. I want the box that comes with the tattoos of a penguin, and I want you know. But chef, what is this kids? I never. I've oh man, like, yeah, it's, microwave it's a, a, yeah. TV dinner. A microwave TV dinner. dinner. It's basically the same price as an adult TV dinner, just less food. Like Swanson's. I know you're talking about the yeah, and like I think you could like with Hungry Man, you had the option of doing them in the oven. But like I didn't want them that way. Yeah, like, course, I think the one time, the one time she bought it for me because yes. I probably cried and threw myself on the floor in the supermarket. I was, she was, like, and she put it in the oven. I was like, "What are you doing? <laughs> What's the point of this? <laughs> what are you doing right there? now?" But there's so many of those products out there that are Italianate, let's say Italianish. Like I mean, you know, Chef Boyardee. This is the nice though. What's that? This is the nice. We're going on a yeah, no, but like here's a great one. Right? You talk about being the American consumer and having your culture retransmitted back to you. Remember Bobbly Pizza? Oh, yeah. Remember, like, the pre-made the crust. pizza crust that you could, like, do on a Friday night oh, as a family, yes. like, put in the oven? Did you ever see the, like, vacuum seal? Like DiGiorno's. Yeah, right like DiGiorno's. Right like, yeah. Tombstone Pizza. You know, that or pizza bagels. These look like the coolest thing in the world, and every pizza kid bagels. that I knew had them. And we had to have them. But they weren't Italian, you know? This was yeah. not to be confused with Scarola and Beans, but... It was uh, a, an evolution, a version, 
of our culture into the greater culture that, I don't know, people really, like, I, I, I collect advertising. I collect old Italian-American advertising. And I think of, like, Medaglia Doro's advertising from, like, the 30s through the 60s, even the 70s. was about sort of teaching this elegant after-dinner demi-tasse black coffee. And it was, like, teaching something that was ours. Um, but I remember finding some of these, like, craft or Franco-American that were not Italian brands Franco that were making, American. like, toaster pizza. You know what I can, yeah. I can contribute to this as the advertising? I knew a guy from the born in the 1920s who told me many years ago. He used to do impersonations of the old, I guess, uh, Italian product commercials that would be on all the, I guess the double VOX mm-hmm. was the New York Italian language station in like, the 20s and 30s. I guess it right 40s and 50s. And, um, Pasquale's COD was the big, I guess it was the lead program. And he, he, he used to do an impersonation of the old Medaglia d'Oro commercial. And it translated into English as, the baby doesn't like water, the mother doesn't like milk, but everybody likes Medaglia d'Oro. <laughs> but that sounds like really corny, but I guess to the old... I mean, that's, that's, that was their marketing. I mean, yeah. I guess that sold wow. the old Italian-American... I guess it worked. it worked. I guess it worked. Brand's here. I mean, the brand is still here. I mean, I thought myself, I was like, wow. I was like, uh, okay. Right, would, so they get, would they put in coffee? I know people who put coffee in their kids' bottles. Me, right here. Really? I know, and I'm not very tall. And, I, and every time I read about <laughs> coffee, stunts your growth. I mean, my mom's not very tall, but my, my dad's tall enough. Yeah, when I was a kid, a little bit of coffee in the milk to jack you up and then put you right down. You fell right asleep. It was like Is that what they, I basically like it was like the coffee? it was like the Italian American equivalent, a little espresso in the milk. It was like the Italian well, equivalent of like a uh, melatonin. One of the nonas that I work with, like she just had her first granddaughter, and she's like such a beautiful kid. And um, now, you know, when it comes to baby food, that they make their own baby food. My mom made her own baby food. Like I was eating like strained fava bean puree <laughs> and uh, prunes and all that stuff. And she's like, you know, when my kids were little. I put oil, I put salt, I put cheese in the baby food. And now they tell you you no, can't do right? it. It's like, She's like doing this stuff. I had three kids. Like, no. you're going to tell me you can't do it? No. It's really, really bizarre, isn't it? I was with my family yesterday, and we were talking about my great aunt, Rosie, who would have been 100 and whatever now. She was like my great grandmother. She was 20 years older than my grandmother. And uh, my mom, we, we lived in the apartment next door. My mom used to send me to her, and she'd make me like, you know, like one, two years old. Like you know, uh, potatoes and eggs, or like a stracciatella soup. Yeah. Like all these things. Like you'd never feed these things to a kid now. I'm pretty functional. I mean, I'm not like yeah, bouncing this, that, my head. That's, that's that's the root of this revolution. That's why I'm here because I think that they were good things. Yes, and they were better things. That's yeah, why Pat were. it survives. Yeah, no, I think. I think <laughs> why did we walk away from what worked? That's the fun. We don't know, and we're the healthiest people, and we have the sickest. You know, population. no, but we're not. Can I tell you something's going to happen? I want. In, in the Cilento, in the area around Piopi, right, that has now the people moving to be 100, 506. And I argue with that is that part of that is that they spend a huge chunk of their lives during the deprivation of the, the, the depression and the war. They had a really restricted diet as far as naughty stuff, the sugar and the meat and stuff like that. Um, they had a really based vegetable diet. And I'm not saying naughty in the sense that, 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 meat and sugar are bad, it's just it's the quantity. Their kids today do not eat the way that their grandparents did. Like, how many people, my grandparents say about, you know, like today's, I say Sviadella, I'm sure another correction will come out, Sviadella, but the, the Sviadella, I remember my grandparents one time, she goes, we only got pastries on very special occasions. Yeah. 
because they were expensive. And today, you know, in Italy, in April, every Sunday, and in, and in Italy, you got you got on a cappuccino and a yeah. like this trip twice a morning. Well, it goes back to the conversation about the, the S cookies and the sure. Befana and Carnevale. What did they have? Baked figs with almonds. Baked figs that would break your teeth. <laughs> well, sure, though, that was freaks. their chocolate. You think they got chocolate? Yeah. You know, and that and that's the thing. Like on holiday, on Easter. My nonna would always make us, you know, an Easter bread, like a hard, a, yeah. a multi-body Easter bread is hard. It's like a cookie with an egg in it and whatever. And I, I would be like, what is this? I want a chocolate egg. Yeah, no, it's uh, that, but that's like, I hope that stuff that survives. Yeah, like, even if I find the hard, the hard Easter bread now, I had to go into um, Knickerbocker Avenue and I couldn't find it anywhere else. I had to like really make an effort to find it this year. I hope that stuff's surviving. Seems like there's interest in it, but we don't have popular media. That's why we're losing this. Well, hopefully that's what we become. And that's so if you're what out there here. and you're eating hard Easter bread or you're eating these products. First of all, I do want to say, all kidding aside, tell us what's on your list of like you know must have a one check the box Italian American products because I know we we've missed some that even mean a great deal to me. Um, well, one of my favorite Italian American. I mean, it's not technically a product, but I think it's like a big Italian American thing is square slices. Really? Oh yeah. Square. Square. The square. A square, like an L and B slice. Mm. So I'm from Brooklyn, which is you oh, know, undoubtedly the, 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 yes, a Sicilian yeah. pie. But in Sicily, they, you know, the pizza's not really like the way the square. Like that's the common name pizza. we would use in yeah. 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 It's like a sfinchona. Yeah. Like a Sicilian pie or squares, as they call them in Brooklyn. You know, Brooklyn's the pizza capital mm. of the world. Um, I would agree with that. You know, come on. Oh, Brooklyn's the capital of everything. Brooklyn <laughs> is the pizza <laughs> capital of the world. I'm just Brooklyn's the capital of everything. Yeah. And there are a few, like, places that make really good squares in my neighborhood. One of them, probably my favorite, is Da Vinci's on 18th Avenue. And that's a pillowy, mm. a nice pillowy square. And then the L&B is like a little bit denser. Mm. They have a thing. I think they put the cheese, the, the, the cheese on before sauce. the sauce. Yeah. It's a thing. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, there's J&V. It's a couple blocks from, uh, from Da Vinci's. And they're all different square slices. They all have their own charm to them. But it's definitely one of those Italian-American... Yeah. Evolutions. I mean, yeah. slice, getting a slice of pizza is our evolution, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. that's unheard of. I, I, I Italiano is, yeah. is, was born in America. Somebody had a, uh, they were in the pizzeria business and they told me this, so it was very interesting. That their business from, let's say, the 50s, it was an Italian family who immigrated, had a pizzeria. From the 50s until about the 80s was Friday night. You know, the no meat on Friday tradition. People came in, they would get a pie. Yeah. They get a bottle of soda. They'd have these special pie, a two-liter bottle of soda, and maybe a gazon or a, a container of mussels, or maybe both. And they would take it home. And they said, you know, then all of a sudden when people started to dine out, you know, they, they said that was the big treat. You know, yeah. mom didn't have to cook on Friday. They went and picked up a pizza. And then as the as taste and markets and time evolved, they said all of a sudden now that wasn't good anymore. And then in the 90s, they had to reinvent themselves with, Pizzas that people ate in, they had to have more expansive uh, menus yeah. with, you know, yeah. uh, macaroni. And 9,000 kinds of pizza, everything on top of it. Now every pizza place in my neighborhood that has been, like, super old school, now they have salads. And yeah. now they <laughs> And think about, like, these pizzerias. Like, my, my grandfather's a pizza all in the 50s. And most of these, most pizza started out of bakeries. Like, it didn't start out of... That's why, like, L&B, yeah. that pan... You know, it's bakery pan. I mean, this is where these... 
pizzas really started was was the bakery. They didn't start. There was no because in Italy, pizza. I mean, there's the Neapolitan pizza tradition, which is, which is a different animal. Yeah, but in in once you leave metropolitan Naples, what, what was what we recognize as pizza in that square pizza today, it was the leftover bread though. Yeah, that was put into the oven because you know making bread in those days was an all time uh, all day affair. You know, from starting the oven up to yeah. preparing the yeast and the, the the sourdough store the night before to preparing the bread. And so what they did was on, with the leftover bread, you went and made pizzas out of it. And usually the traditional condiment was salted anchovies and oil. Yeah, it's, it's pizza marinata. So, yeah, but even without the tomatoes. And then, oh. you know, yeah, the real Why traditional, yeah, because, it's, you know, it predates, remember, tomatoes don't really take yes, off in true. the south of Italy to the time they about the equivalent to the American Revolution. Or they would put on the tomatoes with maybe grated cheese when the, when the heat's coming out of the oven. But bread the bread and pizza have always been tied together as pizza as the relief food so that the exhausted bread makers didn't have to make a second meal. Wow. I never thought about that. Well, I want to... Last thing that I think is... Well, first of all, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, another product that means a lot to me. It's probably not going to get the same conversation because it's not edible. But uh, I always search for, if I'm in an Italian neighborhood, either a Parodi or a Di Nobili cigar, because those are two cigars made here in the United States. Scram, I think. I don't remember where they're yeah, made. Yeah, Pennsylvania, yeah. Scram. But to me, that was like another sure sign of a great Italian neighborhood that they were out there. Um, they were flavored. Oh, yeah. They are, they're on, they are, they are a unique yeah. taste, too, on their own. I mean, they're not for the cigar aficionado, per se, but I love them, and... Uh, I do buy them when I see them, just out of sort of a sense of duty to my to my people. Um, but the ultimate product to me that speaks to our uh, our experience here that I think is solely ours. Uh, it's for us. I knew you were going to say that. And what I was waiting uh, for that to end of the conversation. Did you guys grow up having it in the house? Brioski or Golafi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some sort of yeah. post meal effervescent. Yeah. Brioski yeah. was. That does absolutely nothing. It's a champagne. Oh, there goes that spot. No, I mean, like, it's a candy. No, that's not true. It's to make you burp, right? It's to make you digest. Everything in Italy is obsessed with digestion. <laughs> this is a very good Italian point. Italian Ameri- Italian Americans were obsessed with digestion. Anything to we got in Italy. There's water, vecchia, fonte, whatever. That Fuji water. Say you drink the Fuji water in the morning, you're gonna digest. You drink this other water at night, you're gonna digest. Well, you start with an aperitivo, yeah. right, to open it up. Yeah. Then a digestivo at the end to close it. Nice. <laughs> Salad comes last to scrub you. Everything yeah, to, the, 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 the salad cleans you out. <laughs> then you have a, an amato. Yeah. All all things aimed at good digestion. We Speaking are obsessed amato, with digestion. Nothing nothing says Italian American to me like a statue shaped like a carabinieri or yeah. a soccer player. Well, that's the gold or, Yeah, that to me... That, that, like, that's up there with the plastic on yeah. the couch. I mean, that's an absolute gold. Is it only Galliano? Is that like the... Is it the must-have brand? Or is there others? I don't know. That was... The Carabinieri statue of Galliano was the, was the gold. Do you have one? Yes, we have one. That, that was the complete gold standard. But let me... Come on. I have a, a, a digestion <laughs> conversation. My grandma used to say all the time, don't eat fish, you're going to drop dead from indigestion. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I turned to one time, I guess I was in high school, and I said... I'm not going to die from indigestion. Who do you know that's died of indigestion? Whoever I said to her, who has it? I said, I want to see the death certificate 
that says that they died from indigestion. She was completely appalled. And they'll say, like, if you're eating hot food with a cold beverage, you could get a cramp and That's get indigestion the and die. Uh, some sort of alchemy is going to happen yeah. within your digestion. But Brioski works to balance the pH of the stomach. You know, That's the idea I behind Brioski, to counteract the acid. I, I retract my previous statement. I think Brioski works better than Galafi. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you're burning bridges with sponsors. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, is Brioski still like, around? Because I think they make it in Canada. But it not used to be made in Jersey. Yeah. Jersey company. makes the world takes. That's you know, right. You know, where would you be without us? All of these true. things, though, can be found in what I think is a hallmark of a true Italian American neighborhood, and that's a pork store. Yeah, you're right. That's well, true. Hold on, we tell you about Brioski. <laughs> what is it? No, Brioski <laughs> is no longer made. No, Brioski was made in the United States. For a lot of reasons, the company, I think, was in Lodi, close to Lodi. They closed. Somebody bought them out. It didn't work. I think someone in Canada has bought them and is basically importing an Italian product, putting in a Brioski, which is not a bad product. Because remember, there's two Brioskis. Brioski became an independent Italian-American brand because when World War I was breaking out, the Amer- the I guess the Brioski family sold to a, a group of a, a, an, American, an Italian family in the United States the rights to make Brioski here because they thought that the war would kind of break up, I guess, the cash flow going back to Italy. So that's why there was a domestically made Brioski and there was an Italian made mm-hmm. Brioski which had a different taste profile. Mm-hmm. So the, I don't know if the product we're getting out is the imported Brioski product. It's another antacid product. But it's being brought into Canada and sold too. But I remember, do you remember the travel packs they used to have? No, I do not. that little travel I remember packs. the blue bottles that were like so signature and always somehow dusty in the shelf. Like they'd always been there for a long time, even though the product was, everybody had it in the house yeah. in my life. But the, the shelved version was always dusty in the store. Do you know Brioski is one of the only, I think one of the only antacids that a pregnant woman can have? Really? No, because there's no sight. It's totally natural. But I know a friend of mine's wife, had a rough pregnancy about 15 years ago, and she was told to take Brioski because it really has no other. It's not a. It's it's. I don't want to say it's not a drug, but it's an on the. It's really. It's all. I don't. I don't have the authority to say yeah. it's all natural product. I Doctor Pat. I'm not. I'm not I'm, I, I do have a. No, I do have. A, I have a JT. I have a, <laughs> Sorry. Don't, don't in that area. Sorry. Come on, yeah, yeah. We'll go to the. Kebab. I It wasn't easy. I got there, but the reason I bring it up is that. Um, what I'm saying is that that the 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 product. What was I saying? Just for my whole. Thing. It's it's you could use it when you're pregnant. Yeah, you could use it when you're pregnant. So I would say check your if doctors. You, if you are pregnant, please check with your doctor. Yeah. Don't blame me. But I think it's actually a natural based antacid. But the thing I love about all these products is they're still out there somewhere. They, they, you know, they scale back. Some of them are hard to find. Some of them you got to search for. But they're out. Go out and buy them. Support the yeah, tribe. That's true. Support go out the tribe. and buy them. Go out and buy Brioski. Go out and buy. Manhattan special. Yeah, go to your local pork store, which is the hallmark oh, yeah, of every Italian American store. neighborhood. Every every great Italian American neighborhood I've ever been to has a pork store, and it's always so fun to bring people, like to bring super American people to sit to to a storefront, and they're like, "What what what, what is a pork store?" <laughs> Do they only sell pork? Like, what is it? Is it basically pork product? And it is a deceiving name, really, because it's got everything. Yeah, it's, it's like the Italian mothership, right? It's our, it's our. Yeah, the, the pork yeah. store existed because the other meats were like 
chicken was sold in a live chicken market. Yes, right, that's true. So that was a different... We had one under the BQE until I was, I don't know how old, but like my grandfather, we had there's chicken a great one in Jersey. Mm -hmm. Another free advertising. There's a great one in Jersey, Gotham Road. They still have them in Queens. If you want, yeah. if you want yeah. great, I think Gotham Road is excellent. And then the, I, we always went to this one pork store that in, in Bensonhurst that's now closed, but it was called Vitale. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, with the sawdust on the floor. I remember that, yeah. But under the L... And then there were like the places like Meat Supreme and uh, Body Pork. So there's a couple Body Pork there's a, there's stores. A, that's gets kind of confusing. Actually, there's a bunch of Body Pork stores. That was a that was yeah. like a feud. Yeah, there, there was a Body Pork store feud at one point. There's you know Pizza Pork store on Kings Highway. There's What's so the many one? cool pork stores. It's from Manhattan, but opened in Brooklyn. Faiko. Faiko. Yes. I didn't know that they were even related. I, I had no idea there was even a Manhattan. Brooklyn. Yeah. That's how Brooklyn centric I was. Yeah. But the pork store is the. Uh, safe place. It's the supply cupboard. It is definitely in uh, the like whole, Esposito's in Jersey. New York. Do other places have that? I think so. Yeah, there are pork stores. I mean, it, if, you, if you watch Casino, you know... That's true. Uh, yeah, the, pork store in Vegas. Yeah, there's a pork store in Vegas. There's I mean, it's bring up the S-word, Sopranos. Yeah, pork, that's true. Satriali's. Satriali's. Yeah. S-word definitely deserves its own multi-episode series. Yeah. Uh, but... I'm really glad we had this conversation. It made me hungry. It made me feel really good and cozy to know that we share a lot Did of these really, things. John, yeah, we said the pork. I want to hit up. Yes. I'm going to hit up a pork store on my way home. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm definitely. Well, I'm on diet. Jo today, I'm jonesing for some prosciutto. <laughs> that's on my diet. I can eat that. Yeah, yeah but that's uh, not a pork store plot. That's a Salou Maria plot. Okay, next case. Pork Thirty store. days. <laughs> uh, and with that, and with that, that go out, go out and it's buy these products. If you if you haven't had them. Go try them. They are a living part of our history. And if you if we missed any of the great stuff out there, we apologize. There's only so much time in an hour. But and please let us know, and we'll do a part two to this episode. Yeah. Send us your products that you love, and uh, this would make a great part two. And keep aware in people's minds some of the stuff out there that, you know, these companies were started by, and in a lot of cases still owned by Italian-American families, and definitely deserve our Support. Our race, I guess. So, <laughs> our breed? Our breed. I'm going to say, that's enough. So, how would you to us, I suppose. If you want PC. And a race in Italian, no, it doesn't. Razza, yeah. Race in Italian is a different, doesn't mean race in the American sense. That's true. I meant like our group, Arazza To our people, certainly. Arazza Okay. Thanks for listening to the Power Hour. I in the Bonzo. When I eat, he gets a treat like a gonzo. He enjoys it.